Welcome to the 118th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Perhaps one of the biggest barriers to successfully passing farming enterprises on to the next generation is, for want of a better phrase, a bad attitude. In many rural communities, there is a pervasive mindset that there are no opportunities in production agriculture for young people and it's not worth trying to help them get set up as farmers. In order to ease the passing of farming operations on to the next generation of entrepreneurs, we need to show that such a mindset is often based on false assumptions. Given good access to information, markets, and a network of established farmers, beginning food producers can make a good living on the land. One way to change that negative mindset is to get the word out that successful farm transitions are taking place every day in rural communities. Such farm transition stories help show that there is a new generation of farmers out there that see opportunities in agriculture. They also provide examples of retiring farmers who are willing to go the extra mile to help these beginners get established on the land and in the process continue their operations legacy as a positive presence in the community. The Land Stewardship Project recently held a meeting in southeast Minnesota where beginning and retiring farmers shared such stories. In this podcast, we feature two excerpts from that meeting. The first excerpt features organic dairy farmer Arlene Hershey. Here Arlene talks about how, after their children left home, her family tried to find someone to pass the farm on to. Eventually, her son Eric came back to the operation, and he's now in the process of taking it over. And we really worked very, very hard, did a lot of things that were different. Uh, We we were still conventional in dairy. One of the things we did was milk three times a day, and that's where Eric got hooked. (laughs) He and I had to do the the night shift. (laughs) And so he learned how to do all the cow feedings, all the milking. He knew pretty much how to run the farm through his teenage years, and he was a hard worker, and and he did well. But children grow up, and all of our kids were off to college, including the last one, Eric. (laughs) And so it was hard for us to know what to do then. Uh, There was some uh, ideas about selling, and I just didn't feel like that was the right way to go, and so... We found a young man who um, was interested in farming. His family had a farm, but they weren't ready to sell either yet. And so he thought he would like to do dairying. So we put him in on a contract. We'd try him for a year with the understanding that after that year that we would go into a place where he would start buying out our herd by paying small payments with, with interest for our dairy cattle. And possibly eventually going on to buying the equipment, too, if, if he stayed long enough. Well, he was an ambitious young man, and so he decided in three years he's going to take the cattle and go and start some start he thought was his uncle. It didn't work, but he's now a very successful farmer, though. But, but he was an ambitious man, and, and so he took a third of our herd with him when he left because he had paid for that many. And it was a good transition because he had been so helpful to us, and we were in a time when dairying was really good, and so we had lots and lots of animals, and so it didn't even hardly phase us when he left. Then we took on a young man who thought he would like to farm, and, and he was made the same contract. He would work for a year. At the end of the year, he decided, no, he did not like this, <laughs> and he did not want to be a dairy farmer, <laughs> and so that was the end of that. We asked our older son then if he would be interested, and he said he was. 
Well, that didn't turn out as well as we would have liked it because the one thing I will say, I think the reason it didn't was because we needed a mediator. There were times when there was tension and, and things going on and he wanted change and we weren't listening very well and so we needed someone to, to mediate to help us to um, turn that around. It didn't happen. So he decided he's going to take the cattle and equipment, which he was also buying in that same kind of a contract, and move to another farm. Well, as it happens in the dairy business, about that time the dairy crisis hit with nine, from $17, $18 milk down to $9. Well, he could not make it. So he brought the cattle back, but he was so discouraged that it didn't didn't go well at all, and so he decided he was going to do something different. Well, here I am, with, or we were with Eli's cattle. We asked another man if he was interested, in, and well, we asked his brother, and then he said, well, my brother might be interested, and so we took him on for a year, and he decided at the end of the year that he was going to go back to the home farm, and so that's what he did. He, uh, he didn't, he, I think he had one cow that he took with him, but other than, and I think he bought that one from us. So that didn't go so well, and, but it, it went well enough that he was doing the work, that, I mean, he was the helper that we had, and he also got started himself. He knew what he wanted then, he learned, had the experience of milking cows, and so he knew what he wanted, and so he went on to do that. Uh, there's several other that, that have helped us, I've done some mentoring, uh, had a young, young boy who was um, helping me for a while, and he would have liked to stay. But his family didn't want him to, and so that didn't work real well either. But in the meantime, it just, you know, it was a way of getting the help we needed. So about six years ago, I went to Eric and I said, are you interested at all? Because I, I kept feeling like I don't want to sell this farm. There was a man who was asking us, will you sell this to me? Will you sell this to me? Because he had his cattle equipment and he was ready to go. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to do that because we still had family that hadn't made a decision whether they wanted to or not. And so I asked Eric if he'd like to try it. And so we went on the same principle. He worked a year for, for me before we decided to go into a partnership type of uh, situation. Some of the things that I've learned over the years that I want to quick outline is where we learned a lot about farming is from magazines and articles from other farmers who had already been successful and taking the bits and pieces and learning from them. That's why we transitioned from a conventional dairy to grazing and then finally when Eric and I took over, we went organic. I had been working at that before Eric came. I had been transitioning before Eric came. And the other thing is to put business people and bankers and uh, estate planners around you, especially as you get up there, like in your 50s. Start thinking about what do you want to do with this farm when, I, when you can't anymore. I know that sounds like an early time, but it's a very important time to start thinking about it. And uh, some of the things that we did there were we uh, put a nursing home policy in place so that we wouldn't lose our farm to nursing home things. The other thing is I have a brother who is in estate planning, so we planned our estate and we made a living trust. And so that assures us that we're not going to be losing the farm. Uh, the, the farm, before, uh, before we took on that first man, was pretty much debt-free. Uh, our kids had really helped us a lot, and we really got ahead fat in a hurry. And the prices were good, and so it went well. 
The other thing that really is important is always have a legal contract. I've heard so many stories about people that have been burnt by the landowner or the person trying to begin to farm because they don't have some kind of a written agreement in place and they get stung and then they get bitter and they say, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, the key to that is through all these people that we had, I, we didn't have any real seri serious problems with that because we held them to their contracts and they held us to the contract that we had made. It was very difficult for that first one when he took away a third of our herd. That was very difficult. For, it wasn't so bad for me, but my husband was just very upset about a third of the herd going, you know, but he had a contract, and he had paid on it, and it was his, and, and he deserved it, and, and so that's what happened. I think that it's important to remember if a child is going to take over in a family like that, you need to give them a little bit more of a saving grace, and, and we have done that in our estate planning, that Eric will get uh, the cattle and equipment when we're gone if it's not all paid off by that time. And so... That, in other words, he should have a priority because he's sticking his neck out and, and trying to farm, and it's hard work. And, I, and so that's one of the ways that we have learned that maybe will help it to feel better for him that he's not feeling like he's, he's had the hard end of the, the deal. This excerpt features Joe and Rebecca Schwinn, who, after working on a vegetable operation in New York for a few years, came back to Minnesota to buy a run-down 40-acre farm in the southeast part of the state. After three years of hard work and living on a tight budget, they paid off their farm from the income produced by their wholesale vegetable enterprise. So we moved out to upstate New York in the Hudson River Valley and ran a vegetable CSA farm for three seasons. Got paid a small salary um, and got to also run a farmer's market, um, well two I guess, and save, save the earnings from that. Our plan was to, to work there for a few years and come back here and buy land in this area. We wanted to settle close to his dad and um, his mom lives in Wabasha and this was the area Joe was um, familiar with and used to farming. So we worked really, really, really hard and thought we were going to never be able to afford to move back and buy a place. But um, after three years his mom had found uh, a farm for sale. Outside of Zumbro Falls, she found this farm for sale. It had um, a house and some outbuildings, 40 acres. It was right in the location we wanted to move to. Um, it was June in New York. We were still farming full time, and she kept bugging us, call the realtor, call them today. This, you know, People are going to really jump on this property. It was selling um, at a, a pretty low price, it seemed. And we kind of blew her off for a day and she really bugged us and so we like stopped at lunch and called the realtor and started asking some more questions and it sounded really great and that was on a Wednesday and we made an offer Friday night and we woke up Saturday morning and almost fell over we were so scared because we did it sight unseen we made this offer sight unseen there was no way we could leave New York in the middle of the farming season we were working like 100 hours a week on this vegetable farm anyways Joe's mom had emailed us a ton of pictures she had dragged his dad out there to look at it and we had talked to him and um, we went for it and um, in, in the end our, our um, offer was accepted and um, we bought it and didn't see the farm until December when the season was all over and we moved back from New York. We never intended, we actually we, we took out a loan for this farm too which was never part of our plan. We were bound and determined to save up all of our money ahead of time. Because we really hated the idea um, of debt. <laughs> and all we were actually looking for was bare land and we wanted 20 we never thought we'd get 40 acres, this was what we got, but we wanted, we wanted 20 acres at least. 
We had been looking. We had been just cold ca- calling people that I knew in the area, like, do you want to sell us 20 acres? Or, and everyone was just saying no. We weren't getting anywhere with that. We went and looked at a couple places that were on the market and didn't end up you know, really feeling right about it, um, what we looked at. But this place that my mom told us about, the reason we didn't really have to go look at it is because it was going for as cheap as any of the bare land we looked for, and it had a house, a well, driveway, a nice big barn, a big machine shed, and... Two other crappy buildings that we use. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we make really good use of all the buildings, and it was a 40-acre farm for 5,000 an acre, um, which is, you know, some of the bare land we looked at was 7,000 an acre. This was three, three and a half years ago. Yeah. We bought it. Um, and so we were like, well, if we're like totally tanking on this, then we'll just sell it. Cause there were like six other offers that came in the same day as ours. Um, uh, we knew that it was priced, um, it was too good to pass up. Yeah. It was priced pretty well for the way land prices were climbing up. But, um, in that three years in New York, we had saved, you know, almost every penny Becca reminded me of $14 she spent going out to eat one time in New York, but <laughs> that we had <laughs> And we got in a huge fight about it the next morning, because that was outside of the budget, and I cried, and yeah, I mean, we were really, had a super tight budget, so. We were eating oatmeal, uh, just like all the time, <laughs> but um, so we, we saved up for about half of half of our farm in that three years. So we had a pretty good down payment and had a pretty easy time getting a loan. Yeah, our first year back, being seven miles down the road from my dad's farm, we decided we weren't even going to try to farm on our place because we didn't have a greenhouse. We didn't have... Any Any of the infrastructure that Sarah and Nathan mentioned, you kind of have to have in place for vegetable farming. Walk-in cooler, wash stand area. Plus, we didn't know about the fertility of our fields, and we didn't want to put all these high-value vegetable crops in land that we didn't know how it was going to do. It's pretty intensive doing vegetables, so when you plant it, you really better hope that every single one does pretty well. Yeah, and we we were able to use all of his infrastructure. We actually grew all of our stuff, except for um, potatoes, uh, sweet corn, and squash. We grew everything that was really labor-intensive at my dad's place. And also, that was, yeah, also I mean, tapped all into the markets. And all the um, markets he had established over the yeah, years. Yeah, we had a really nice farmer's market in Rochester. Some accounts that were kind of fizzling out up in the Twin Cities that we revived again. My dad had really been um, doing a lot less in vegetables. And we kind of built that back up in the Twin Cities and got a few co-ops that are really buying pretty strongly from us. We deliver every week up to them and our biggest piece of advice um, is definitely know people in the area that are farming don't just go out and try to do it by yourself also have some experience too Um, I think it it pays a lot to know what you're doing like more so than having enough money to buy your farm is you need to know what you're doing with it the first season was all at his dad's and then the second season we transitioned onto our farm but still used his greenhouses. And in the third season, we had built our own greenhouse, also had built a wash stand, walk-in cooler, 
some other vegetable storage locations, um, bought a tractor that we share with my sister and her husband, Hannah and Daniel, and bought a team of horses before that, um, some pieces of equipment. Then we built the greenhouse, I don't know if I said that. And um, So now we're fully on our farm, and we do about seven or less acres of vegetables and have gotten more animals than I think we probably would have thought we might get, but um, diversifying our farm has gotten more important to us. So we have two dairy cows. We have laying hens. We do a couple pigs each year, and we have a little beef herd that we're, I don't know, doing some steers every year. Yeah, do the market in Rochester. Did a CSA for a couple years, um, but that was, we couldn't do the market CSA and the wholesaling without doing a bad job at one of them and it was always the CSA that we were slack on so drop that since our wholesaling was going so well but yeah we do a huge variety of vegetables another piece of advice for beginning farmers would just be focusing on your goals and sacrificing for them I mean that's all I feel like we did we've so far been um, really blessed and thankful for that information on transitioning farming operations onto the next generation, see the number 2 2012 edition of the Land Stewardship Letter at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.